What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode three of the Catholic Dialogue. It's been a while. We haven't recorded in... It's been like three, four weeks? Has it been a month? James? It's been a very long time. I think it... Even before you came to visit me in Portland, we stopped yeah, recording. Yeah, because we were supposed to record like, what, two weeks ago, but we couldn't. Something came up. A lot of things but came yeah. up. It's called life. A lot of things came up. Yeah, so James has moved to Alaska officially, started his pace teaching. I'm still here in Minnesota, about getting ready for classes to start up in a week for grad school. God bless you. Yeah. Thanks, that's right. But. Because <laughs> that's in my control. Yeah. But anyway, as always, my name is Matt, and I'm here with James. And yeah, this is the Catholic Dialogue. Today we're going to be looking at um, a tech talk um, Pope Francis gave. Back in April, which I kind of like the idea of Pope Francis giving a TED talk. That just makes me happy on the inside. I don't know why it does, but you little little theologian, you. <laughs> but yeah, it happened back in April, so we're gonna take what he spoke about in April, but also kind of apply it to recent events that happened. If, if you look at in the past few weeks, such as the all the stuff that happened a week ago, and kind of the emotional and sort of political not necessarily political but kind of landscape that kind of covers all of that yeah I think it's very important um, I think for this I I know oftentimes going into the classroom in in, in universities in in even in in high school the climate to talk about race and to talk about um, the oppression of certain populations there can be it's, it can be very intimidating for many people um, but I think it's very important because to again build that dialogue about race about oppression about social justice um, in all classrooms where we have the opportunity to um, because why because voices every time we step out of that classroom Voices are marginalized again. They fall back into that same pattern. Um, and when will they ever be heard? When they're given the opportunity to be heard. Um, so I think Pope Francis um, giving this TED Talk um, opens the door um, for people of all faiths um, to, one, take control of how, one, we understand what is a revolution how we understand um, how we're called to live as true disciples of Jesus Christ um, and how well how do we see power how does power act and work in the lives of all people um, and it's very interesting because Pope the the title of Pope Francis's video is um, why the only future worth building includes everyone. This is something that, I mean, we have seen in recent news where not everyone is included in the future in our current society. Uh, in current society, I mean, even thoughts. Um, so this is, this is an, a really an opportunity, I think, for us um, as, you know, people with an avenue for for letting our voice be heard to talk about what the church teaches and how we are called to respond to that how are we called to respond 
um, really holistically and, cath and, and truly Catholic to what has been happening around us. Because we all know we are social creatures. We have to interact. Um, God is made manifest through the way we interact with one another. God is made manifest through our actions. Um, God is present in all things. But how we see God working is oftentimes through the work of our hands, through the work of others. And how we also see the oppression of other people is through others. Um, yeah. I think James and I also come at this from different perspectives. So James being a minority, like you said, being Chamorro in the United States, and me being a white, Christian, straight male. Literally, if you think of... Sadly, when you think Every of... stereotype? Not... Yeah, a stereotype. A stereotype, it's me. Matthew has glasses. I... I'm dripping privilege, pretty much. Let's, let's be real. Yes. I think I've said this on the show before, but yeah. Um, yeah. And I think oftentimes, it's, I mean, I'm not saying it as a bad thing, but there are some people who don't know, who genuinely don't realize the amount of privilege, and the, but also the amount of oppression that came with their privilege. True. Um, Which is something, Pope Francis talks about that in his TED Talk, um, when he says... He goes on to talk about how he grew up a certain way. His grandparents were Italian. They moved to Argentina. And they saw all this, all these people not living as well off as they were. And so the question I always ask himself is, why them and not me? So me looking here, I'm sitting here. I'm looking at videos of neo-Nazi rallies, people doing Nazi salutes, people waving Confederate flags. And seeing the hurt, it it sickens me to see this. I hate it, absolutely hate it. But seeing the physical hurt it gives people, like why 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 them, not mm -hmm. me? Yeah, um, you know. Also, like when we talk, I mean, talking about this issue is, um, I want to bring you back to the issue of the Confederate flag. Um, for many of us. And for many of us who didn't grow up around the culture of the South, for many of us, we would think of the Confederate flag, you know, associated with slavery, associated with um, oppression. But for people who, who live in the culture of the South, the Confederate flag could be seen as a symbol of unity, a symbol of history, you know, um, a symbol of their culture, you know. And this is... Um, I think this goes back to the idea of how do certain symbols function in our lives, function in the life of a society. It it could it is very well true that there are people who definitely believe the Confederate flag is an historical symbol, a symbol that doesn't that is not associated with slavery, and then there are people who believe it is associated with slavery. But how has it been perpetuated in our society today? Yeah, that's a good point. And it needs to be every person's understanding of that symbol should be brought to the table. Not just like a predominantly certain, like if the certain view is the majority view, mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily make it right, necessarily make it the way it should be. Yeah. Or certainly the louder voice. Mm -hmm. um, certain voices, and we see this in our society, certain voices are heard more than others. Yeah. Um, Most of the time. If <laughs> very true. Um, and I think Pope Francis, um, 
when he when he really talks about I mean when he really talks in this in uh, in this in in his TED talk is really talking about he talks about equality and social inclusion which for me I think is taking steps toward or hinting at equity hinting at equity in our society and he he goes on to say um, how there are people in our in our society where they want to get rid of the word solidarity where solidarity need not be a word we need to define because it is a very inconvenient word um, and what word does he go back to um, that we've repeated in this podcast uh, a lot of times he goes back to the he goes back to a culture of waste how are we throwing people aside? How are we throwing um, populations to the margins? You know, people who, who yeah. are constantly marginalized. We are, this is our culture. Um, how do we, as Christians, need to respond to that? Um, Definitely. And, and what, something that popped out at me when kind of going off your point. No, go ahead, go ahead. I am, if, if I am, suck it up. But because I'm gonna suck. Yes, it. yes, yes. Tell oh. the minority to suck it up. It's fine. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> anyway, so one thing he talks about is that the other, so another person, is not just a statistic or a number, but they have a face. They are a human being with a soul, a face. They are a child of God. So, kind of branching slightly off that, we have this idea of. So when we look at like unemployment numbers or something, they're going. People can celebrate because unemployment numbers are going down, which is great. I don't know if they are now. They, According I, to the I'm president, it is. Looking at that. Okay. Yeah. Well, fake news. <laughs> fake news. But anyway, if we so when the unemployment numbers go down, that's great. Yeah. But it doesn't mean we stop there. Like we can celebrate the fact we're going down, but that number, whatever number that is, that eight percent unemployment or whatever it is, those are people. Those are like people with lives, people with, some of them with children, some of them with people who are dependent on them, people, they're ch children of God, and in that way, how can we show that love, that solidarity that James is talking about, and not just, and, and as Pope Francis talked about, solidarity can't just be re reduced to social work. How do we incorporate it in everything, in our technological advance, our science advancement, to paraphrase what he said, as we discover faraway planets, can we recognize the need for those that are orbiting among us who need our, who are in need? Mm -hmm. It's how can that solidarity become a way to love other people, not just use that word solidarity and be like, "Yay, look, solidarity," which some of us, me sometimes including, just kind of use that as a uh, a buzzword. It's, oh, solidarity! I know Pope Francis. I think he talks about it in Laudato Si. We're, we're in a constantly advancing society. A society that is focused on profit. A society that is focused on the new advancement in technology. A society that is focused on making the individual better. And again, it goes back to who are we discarding as we advance? Mm 
and Pope Francis in his talk doesn't tell us to take a step back. He tells us to be where our feet are, to be present to those who are around us, who are being affected by our advancement in technology, in making more profit. Who? The workers who work for minimal yeah. wages or less than livable wages? The homeless who lose their jobs for because we can create robots to do their job? Or we can make machines, sorry, not robots. I mean, robots are a possibility in the future. But it's, <laughs> it's true. There are people who are affected by the actions we do. Oh, for sure. Uh, and I think this was a conversation I had in class. And I, I wish I spoke up. I was kind of shocked what he said in the first place. So I didn't say anything. But I kind of wish I spoke up. One of the things. If I could go back in life and change something. No, but... Um, so one thing you said we for the class we had to rank like like most important like if we became president of the United States hopefully I never do that'd be interesting to say the least but there's like there was four things that we could like focus on and make priorities so there's healthcare um poverty military and like global humanitarian aid and stuff like that. So we had to go through and list what would be our priority and what would be our, like the least priority in our term in office or whatever. And one person talked about how, like most of us said kind of healthcare slash poverty kind of be at the top because we want to address the needs of the people who are in poverty. One person said he would put military at the top because the military does so much for technological advancement. He's like, and to quote him, he said, if you knew how much... Um, or if you knew, actually, I lied. It was about he put um, space exploration at the top. If you knew how much space exploration helped us with our technology, you would put that at the top too. And he went off to how we have iPhones because of satellite testing and stuff, and like because we have iPhones, that's why we should put it at the top. And I was, I, I wish I should say if we, no, that's literally not how that works. I want, I kind of wanted to say if we truly experience what it means to be in poverty, what it means to not have health care when. We badly when we're fighting cancer or something, then we would we would move want to put healthcare and po like fighting poverty at the very top and not just kind of want to advance technologically. And that's like James is saying Pope Francis talks about where it's can we advance technologically as inclusion or with that inclusive future in mind that kind of we're stepping forward but with everyone and not kind of leaving people in the dust to to clean up after us kind of thing yep um you know um and this <clears throat> sort of this reality um is made visible today um we we see even for the fight of equality on the forefronts for many populations of people and this is a different kind of poverty. I think there's a poverty of the spirit and the poverty, um, the true poverty, I mean, there is poverty of being poor. Yes, that's 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 poverty, I don't deny that. But there's also a poverty um, that I don't know the right word. I mean, I don't know if I can define it. But I think the poverty that we need to really look at 
is the poverty of people who are not only poor, but the people who work through that poverty and still cannot get out of it. If we live in a society, I mean, I mean, we look at the American dream, you work hard, you'll achieve your dreams to get the white picket fence, to get the blue house with the, to get the house with the blue shutters and the perfect family of four kids, a man and a wife get and a the dog, maybe a cat, who knows? You can get a cat too. Cats are, I don't like cats. Yeah, they're though. moody. They are they're very moody. Well, like you, James. You're kind of moody. Excuse you. That's rude. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we look at, sometimes we're so focused on, well, we, this is the, this is our American dream and we have a pride. And yes, there's a, we live in a society that can allow, that has the possibility of allowing it. But if we put, really put our feet on the ground, how many people today continue to work hard to get the same wages, yet they cannot afford to put food on the table for their children? How many people receive a college degree, yet cannot afford to find a job? How many people lose their jobs to fall back into poverty? It, it's very... It, 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 it doesn't surprise me. But the possibility... I mean, to say that you can fall into poverty, but yet to, to, to be lucky... I mean, to... To go into success is to be lucky, you know. Pretty much, yeah. Or have some some sort of connection on your way to the yes. top. What do we do for the people without connections? What do we do for the people who continue to work hard, but yet the American dream is not a possibility for them because of their context? True. How do we balance the power? I think um, Dr. William Cahoy talks a lot about kind of this idea of power and power over and power with. And so we get this idea of power over being like, I'm in control of you. You do what I say kind of thing and you'll, you'll do it. That's what power over is. Power with is empowerment. So this idea of like servant leadership kind of thing where as a leader, you're empowering others. So I think moving forward leadership wise and okay, like, I don't get too... Sometimes I get a little political, let's be real, but I don't like to get too political on this show, at least. But in our current administration, we don't get power with. We get power over. We're not seeing Trump empower people. We see him... No, he does empower people. Select people. Yes. He powers select people. That's a good point. He, yeah. And then we look at that sort of example of leadership. Do we look at the leadership of Christ who, like, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, as Pope Francis brings up in this TED Talk, shows, it, it empowers people. So we look at the Samaritan, the the hated race, so to speak, of the, of that time. Mm -hmm. Jews hated Samaritans. Yeah. And the Samaritan was a hero. He was a protagonist of the story. Mm -hmm. So he comes in, saves the, the life of this man who was stripped of his clothes, beaten the crap out of, money stolen, and like doesn't worry about the money he has, or the he takes him to the inn, 
gives them to the like the innkeeper and says, here, take care of this guy. Here's some money now. I'm going to come back, give you more money, whatever you need to take care of this guy. Go for it. I'll pay him back. It's this, as Dr. Christina Astorga talks about, it's this mutuality this and entering into this network of solidarity of how can we, as a group, empower others that way? How can we take care of other people and allow them to live and prosper? How how can this innkeeper and this Samaritan go in and help this person live, pretty much? Yeah. Um, but we look at, I mean, when we look at this, I, I mean, this, this parable that um, sort of this, sorry, this parable of the Good Samaritan, the way when I first encountered this in in one of my theology classes in high school um, was at the time was you're in the you're in the middle of the Bible Belt, completely deep in the South. You have the I was taught to think of it as well. You have an average you. Sorry, not an average, but you have one of the members of the clan get into a car crash on the side of the road. You have a police driver drive right by. You have you have a policeman drive right right by. You have his next door neighbor just completely walk by the accident. But yet you have an African American walk up, assist and assess the accident and take him to the hospital. This interpretation was the one that I found most powerful in understanding this story. Because, especially as we look in our society, not just because of the political climate we have today, but we look at it as how many of us today or how many people do we see today who would go over and help their oppressor. It's powerful imagery. It is very powerful. Someone, I remember reading a commentary. Um, they, they referenced it as the Levite is a chaplain or a pastor of any church. Well, it is the Levite and the Pharisee, right? The Levite and the Pharisee that pass by. And yeah. then the other is the choir director of that church. The same church that the congregant goes to. They're, they walk right past by the accident. And that can be any single one of us. Yet, when we really see in our society, I mean, we really see in our society people um, we see people who have been on the margins, people who have been immigrants, people who have been migrants. It is, I mean, sad to say that it is many of those people who are the first ones to reach out, who are the first ones to be in solidarity. Um, yeah. There's, um, Richard Cleaver is a, um, a gay liberation theologian, and he took 
pretty much what James said about like a clan member getting in a car accident and the African American black man or woman taking care of him and kind of showing that sense of love. There was he uses the or Richard Cleaver used that in the same way whereas a priest or someone gets in a car or someone's like gets in a car accident, someone they stole his clothes, guys like butt naked on the side of the road, dying. Priest drive by says, I should help this guy, but can you imagine what it would be like if people saw me with a naked man in my car. That'd be terrible for me, terrible for the church, just make it look like another bad publicity thing. I should just let him go. Goes on, another person goes by, um, I forgot the exactly the second person one, leaves him, and a gay man finds him, a person who hasn't been to church in years and years because he felt marginalized by the church, saves the guy, gets, gets this award for helping this person. Everyone loves the guy. He's like, yeah, you're the example of Christ. And the guy's like, I don't really go to church. But it's again, that's, it's that love that was shown in that moment that kind of pushes us forward to that what Pope Francis talks about as like the third point in his TED Talk, the revolutionary, the revolution of tenderness. Mm -hmm. And he says this love, the revolution of tenderness comes about when there's a love that starts in the heart and kind of expands to the mind, the eyes, and the hands to where you act out that love. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is the perfect example of acting out that love. Yes. So, so Pope Francis talks about this revolution of tenderness. And when I first thought about what he says when he talks about the revolution of tenderness is the question of who is my neighbor? Who do we define as our neighbor? Because when we look at this this parable, it is a response that Jesus gets. Um, it is a response Jesus gives to a question of who is my neighbor. Um, um, Amy Amy Levine, uh, a biblical scholar, um, states that even for this t in this time, the question wasn't about who that to ask who is my neighbor is a polite way of asking of who is not my neighbor. Um, who doesn't deserve my love? Whose lack of food or shelter can I ignore? Or whom can I hate? And Amy Levine states that the answer Jesus gives to this question is that no one, everyone deserves love, local or alien, Jews or Gentile, everyone. So who is our neighbor? Everyone. Um, and so the future you is what Pope Francis talks about um, is really interesting because it asks, who do you define as your neighbor, right? This is a, an essential question that I feel is reflected throughout this TED Talk. Um, and then he talks about how if we can answer with solidarity it transfers from one person. There will be another person, another you, and another you, and then it becomes an us. And that's how it becomes a revolution, right? He talks, and then it becomes a revolution of tenderness, where we can respond with solidarity. Um, but there are people who are like the Levite and the Pharisee who don't respond. And I like to refer back to Levine, um, where she references um, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, or Dr. King um, gives sort of an answer to what 
to as to maybe why the Levite and the Pharisee don't respond, which is sort of what you were talking about earlier, was what are people yeah. going to think about us, right? The, there well, there could have been a factor of fear, fear, right? What is going to happen to a, a Levite and a Pharisee when someone sees them helping a Samaritan or helping helping them? What is going to happen to them? But yet the Samaritan, and Levine talks about it in her article, the Samaritan comes to reverse the question as not what is going to happen to us, but what is going to happen to them? What is going to happen to the person that I am helping, right? What is going to happen to the person that I am standing in solidarity with? What is going to happen when I don't stand with them in solidarity? This is a very an essential question, a very Catholic response. But especially when we say we're a universal church. Um, in, in when you teach, when, whether you teach catechesis or whether you teach as a as a Catholic educator, our the one of the four marks of the church that we profess every day is that we're Catholic. And what does that mean? That means we are made of a diverse group of people. And that diversity brings beauty to the church. But yet that same diversity, there are many diverse people in the church that are oppressed. Uh, but there are there is a diversity of responses. But what response is truly authentic to our diversity is a question, right? True, yeah. And when you're standing on the side of the road waving an a Nazi flag or uh, doing Nazi salutes and shouting obscenities for people who aren't white. We get this idea of, and most of these people probably call themselves Christian too, where they have, KKK is a quote-unquote Christian group. But um, Father James Martin talks about, are they actually Christian? Like, are these, James shared this on our, um, our Facebook page, the video that he put out, like, are these people Christian? I, I don't think they are. They may consider themselves Christian, but do they portray those Christian values of love, solidarity, tenderness, power with versus power over? No, they don't. When they, and to, to paraphrase what James Martin says, when they shout, or when they do Nazi salutes, when they, their hands up for a Nazi salute, it's kind of the same, and just as much as them nailing the, a, or nailing a nail into Jesus' hand on the cross, or when they shout, um, racist terms they might as well be shouting crucify him kind of thing that's mm -hmm. how far away these supremacist views are from Christianity in general even most the big religions of the world we can look at Hinduism, Islam Buddhism Christianity, all of those huge religions they all preach love for one another, even those who aren't like you. Yeah. And so how it blows my mind how certain groups can get so far off from certain beliefs and mm -hmm. suddenly it, it just blows my mind. How does Jesus act in the gospel? He wouldn't be doing Nazi salute, I can tell you that much. No, I mean Jesus you know, Jesus makes it very clear, you know, when we forget the poor when we deny the marginalized, when 
we persecute the other we we do it to Jesus Christ you know he yeah. identifies as one of them he serves them he stands on their side he stands with those who are on the margins of our society this is Jesus Christ yeah and in Matthew pretty sure it's Matthew he talks about how what you do to my le- the least of your brothers and sisters mm-hmm. you do to me so when we're lynching people and hanging them from trees who are we hanging from trees who are we sending to the gallows I, obviously that's not hopefully it's not happening nowadays but yeah it's a something yeah, that needs no. to be taken into account no it's very true um, mean, yeah but again Jesus responds with this tenderness he responds with including you know I will go back to um, Jesus respond when we I mean when we go back to the um, the story in Luke where Jesus has dinner with the Pharisees Jesus acknowledges the 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 woman of the streets he acknowledges the the sinner who bar who comes into the house during dinner he acknowledges her giving her a voice becoming her voice you know um in a society that already put her on the margins in a society that already decided her destiny Jesus Christ came to change he came to switch it he came to switch the question he came to how do i say to restore her back to community how are we restoring the marginalized people back to community to our community. How are we including them? True. Do we live up to it? Go ahead. I think that's... You brought up a great point, actually, and kind of the now, after seeing all these terrible events that took place, how do we respond? Like you said, do we fight fire with fire? Do violence... Op- it's never the answer, even though some people claim there's violence on both sides. But whatever. Um, another thing that I, that was brought up in some of my conversations with, uh, people, um, our age, people of our generation, um, was the, was the idea how many people use religion to justify their violence? Um, is that truly authentic? Do the people... And I think about it now, um, and I hope, and it, this is a, a something that I see, um, hoping something that I, I hope see changes in our society. Um, someone brought up the question, I mean, not someone brought up the question, but someone, um, we look at how we generalize m- Muslims, and they say jihadists, that they identify most Muslims with jihadists, with fundamental Islamic, I mean, with, I mean, with the actions of jihadists. Do we do that with these, the neo-Nazi supers who profess themselves as Christians? Do we say they speak up for all of Christ, for all Christian beliefs? This is something that I hope I think is a lesson for many people that. If we don't, I mean, not all Muslims, 
identify with jihadists. And not all Christians identify with neo-Nazis who profess themselves who justify their violence using the Bible. Um, the, uh, yeah, no, it, yeah. It, for me, for someone else to, to realize that and bring that to, I mean, it's not something that I always put my, my thought to, but it's very true. It's, it's something we have to, to address, I think. I, yeah, I completely agree. And it's the idea of even, though this may not be what we're talking about, kind of touching on what James talked about, about the generalization of Muslims and those people who do terror attacks in what the name of what they call religion or their faith. We went, James and I went to a conference last, last February? Two February. Yeah, it was last, not this past one. Two Februarys ago. <laughs> Don't give me that look. <laughs> um, it was about world policy and religion and how they kind of play into each other. And... One of the big things I remember was when Trump was running for president, talked about – there I am getting political again – about how Obama wouldn't call um, extre- or Muslim extremists. He wouldn't say it. Like he wouldn't say, oh, those Muslim extremists are doing terror or whatever. That was – if I remember that right. I could be quoting that wrong. It's the general idea of what I'm getting at. But it's the – the point as is – the thing is they're not extremists. Like, the thing is, they have extreme views, but not extremists of that religion. So if you look at Islam extremists, they're hardcore Muslims, but they not necessarily have violent tendencies, right? So this idea of the difference, um, Hussam bin Saud bin, uh, oh, wow, I'm going to butcher this name, sorry. Um, Hussam bin Saud bin Abdulaziz al Saud of Saudi Arabia says the difference between um, the moderate and the extremist is often not the issue of belief but a matter of action the purpose of dialogue is to restrain violent action not to dilute belief Muslims share the same beliefs as most contentious issues facing them where they differ is how to deal with them so it's this idea of how can we do we generalize what all Muslims believe what all Christians believe because of the actions of few loud people in their actions or do we try to understand the faith to understand to I guess not necessarily fights but help go into dialogue with these people who are violent extremists and how do we mm-hmm. stop that violence that was something that was a huge part of that conference we went to how, how can we enter into dialogue and stop that not necessarily start blowing things up because that's not blowing things up well, fixes some things like I don't know. You blow up a hamburger, a balloon. You can blow up a ha- you can blow up a balloon, and it yeah, it's supposed to work. Yeah, terrible yeah. joke. You always have terrible jokes, but um, <laughs> I know some of them are good. But what I mean is how hatred stems from hatred, and if we act in ways that are violence in response to violence, there's going to be more hatred that kind of spills from it. But if we respond by trying to enter in a dialogue with these people, try to show them, no, violence is not the way to go about this. Violence is not how to do it. We respond with love and tenderness and show, like, show with protests even. Like, look at people, there's protests in response to the white supremacist protests going on. How can we act in ways that don't inspire violence between people? Yeah. Um, 
how do we respond? Um, and again, going back to what Pope Francis says, we respond with this revolution of tenderness. Um, and what does this tenderness look like? What does this tenderness need to be? It needs to be concrete. We can talk about solidarity. We can talk about mercy. But how do we follow up with our talk? You know, we will respond with tenderness. We will respond. We will put our hands in the hands of those who are marginalized. We'll put our hands together with those who are fighting for equity. You know, um, and, uh, you know, just as Christ came into existence, um, and Pope Francis um, says that this is the path that Jesus took himself. He lowered himself. He lived his entire human existence practicing the real concrete language of love. So what is the radicality of love? Love is encountering the other. Encountering the other as a person with a story, as a, a person with a voice who needs to be heard. Right? Um, and tenderness, you know, he, he talks, he, Pope Francis says that tenderness is not weakness. He says that tenderness is fortitude. Tenderness is the path to solidarity. The path to humility. Power must be balanced with solidarity. Yeah. Well, we've spoke for a while. And I don't know. I think we covered what we want to talk about. We've ranted for a while. James, any last thoughts? James? James? Well, we're having technical difficulties on this end, so I'm going to call a segment. James, yeah, can't get track of James. So thank you all for listening. Um, if you have any questions, comments, go ahead and tweet it out at us. Facebook message us. Heck, email us if you want. Um, but yeah, reach out to us, and we'll gladly answer your questions on the next show. And again, I'm Matt. I was with James. And follow us on follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Catholic Catholic underscore dialogue without the O and the G because we don't need them. And yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jesus folk out.